Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the most accurate podcast brought to you by 444.com. I'm your host, Greg Smith, and if you are still on the fence about getting a 444 subscription, I want to start off the show right up front by trying to persuade you with an opportunity to get 25% off your sub. All you have to do is go to the sign-up page at 444.com and use the promo code TMAP, that's T-M-A-P, as in the most accurate podcast, and you'll get that 25% discount. Uh, Our team features some of the sharpest and best-dressed analysts in the fantasy football community, so lock in your subscription and get their help to take your fantasy game to the next level. Uh, One of those analysts is the great Chris Allen, and he is on the show today to help me recap all of the week three actions so far. But before I bring Chris on, I want to let you know about the music on this episode. I'm going way back on you uh, to 2001 with a song called uh, Chains of Love by the Dirt Bombs. It's actually a cover from their 2001 record, Ultra Glide in Black. Check out the full song and all the other music from my episodes on the TMAP B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. This episode is sponsored by Fantasy Draft, Daily Fantasy's only rake-free site. In week three, they brought the heat with the Hooter Main event. At $750,000 guaranteed, it was the largest rake-free contest of its kind on the slate. You can expect more of the same in week four and beyond, so sign up at FantasyDraft.com with promo code 444, and you'll get a free seven-day trial membership. Remember, Fantasy Draft is the only DFS site where 100% of entry fees are paid to contest winners. So get yourself signed up with that promo code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4, and see how great it feels to grind rake free. With all that said, I'd like to bring in Chris Allen. You can find his work at 444.com, of course, Fantrax, and Number Fire. Follow him on Twitter at ChrisAllenFFWX. The fantasy football weather expert is here. Welcome to the show, Chris. How's the weekend treating you? Uh, treating me great. Um, I can't say like how happy I am to actually like join this podcast. I mean, it's a, I mean, working for four for four for so long. I mean, it's been one of my like mainstays in terms of like the podcast rotation, like talking with you for a while and just listening to some of the other fine folks that you've had on the show. I mean, you just had uh, Josh Hornsby on the show just last week, so it's it's hard to follow up the act and the other folks you had on here. So I'm happy to be on, Greg. Thanks for having me. Hey man, it's great to get you on. I'm sure you're going to do a bang up job. Uh, we've had some good podcasts in the past over two QBs. I'm really stoked to get you over here on TMAP. And let's just dive into the week three action, Chris. What stood out to you the most, uh, you know, maybe dating back to Thursday or, or today uh, as we record on Sunday? I mean, do we really have, I mean, other than Gardner Minshew and just like the the whole, I guess, his, what's the right term for, I guess, that his aura, I guess, would be the right term to kind of talk about a guy that, you know, with the the, the shirts, the headband, the, the locker room stretching routine and all that. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only thing I can really say about that game other than just, I don't know what we're supposed to do with Marcus Mariota at this point. Um, I know a lot of folks have kind of left him for dead, even though he does have a fairly decent matchup. Uh, with, against the Atlanta Falcons, I believe, in week four. But other than that, I mean, the, one of the big things that stood out to me uh, when I was watching the games earlier today was, I mean, Josh Allen, I mean, for, for all of his faults and for kind of where we left him at the end of the 2018 season, I mean, he was one of those guys that most folks like, would look at him and say that, well, he's he's not really the prototypical NFL, I mean, a fantasy quarterback because, you know, we really couldn't rely on him for maybe some, you know, uh, your normal or I guess your, your typical passing, uh, like passing yards, but with the, with the rushing and like the deep balls, like we figured he could get you there. It might be a roller coaster, but he could get you there. But I'm not really seeing the same type of play from Josh Allen here in 2019. I mean, uh, he ended 2018 season 
uh, completed about maybe I think it was uh, 52% of his passes, and those were, I mean, deep balls to, uh, who was it, like Robert Foster, I mean, some of those other guys, I mean, just like deep routes and, th- and plays like that. But then now here in 2019 when we see Cole Beasley making diving catches, I mean, John Brown making, uh, doing like comeback routes, I mean, it's not the same type of passes and route trees that we saw Josh Allen hitting in 2018. I mean, his completion percentage is up. I mean, his rushing percentage, I mean, his rushes aren't just all scrambles. We're seeing more design runs. So it seems like, uh, you know, Brian Dable and uh, Sean McDermott, they're they're really trying to work with him and and trying to bring together the right personnel, I mean, to to really play to his strengths. And we're we're seeing him actually progress as an actual NFL quarterback. And it just doesn't seem like he's as, I guess, scattershot or, you know, hair on fire type of plays that we saw from 2018, which is, it's actually really impressive to see like how far he's come. I mean, I know the um, the, the real focus has been on Lamar Jackson, but I mean, Josh Allen, again, for all of his faults, he's really starting to look like an NFL quarterback. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head pointing out the improved weaponry that he has there. And, you know, Brian Dable set him up to succeed within the context of that offense last year. He's doing it again this year, except now he's doing it with legit NFL players, right? Like Cole Beasley is an experienced veteran. John Brown is a very talented player. The issues that he's had in the past have never been related to his skill or his level of play. It's always been about him being healthy enough to play week to week. And I think that that's where this conversation has to start. Now, spinning this a different direction, and this is going to be kind of a common theme for me when we talk about some of these QBs today, is the devil's advocate argument that he did this against Cincinnati. How much does that concern you? Like, how much are you reading into that when you look at Josh Allen's performance today? Because it wasn't one that, you know, beat the fantasy world over the head. You know, this wasn't like Russell Wilson scoring 43 points. This was a serviceable week, a fine week. And yes, he's improving as an NFL passer, an NFL player in general. But in terms of fantasy, it wasn't a great week. And it was against a relatively soft defense in the Bengals. Uh, Are you concerned about that at all with Allen? Oh, absolutely. And I think next week, I believe they'll play the the Patriots next week. So it's kind of a hands off, like I don't want anything to do with Josh Allen, like as a streamer or anything like that uh, coming up in week four. And I think that's pretty much what you have to expect. I think if you if he's allowed time and he's able to actually uh, and the opposing defense isn't generating a ton of pressure, he's able to read, he's able to react, and then he's able to actually function as, a, as an NFL quarterback. Now, I don't see him being able to hit some of those same ceilings as, uh, as we were just talking about, but I do think serviceable is about, I think is his, is his floor. And, uh, but anything past, like in, once you start throwing in you know, complicated looks and with like top-end personnel, like what he's going to face in New England next week, I, I'd be looking other... Uh, elsewhere for for options for for quarterback so it's very hard for me to say that uh you know he's ready or he's uh, i guess graduated to that uh, that level of starter where we're comfortable with regardless of the matchup it's more of i would still consider him to be uh, very much so a, a matchup based starter yeah i totally agree he really is reminiscent of mitchell trubisky from last season where it is going to be a roller coaster ride and you can make some smart choices based upon the matchups that he's entering to decide when you want to use them when you don't in two quarterback super flex, that's a little trickier because maybe you don't always have the quarterback depth you need uh, relative to the matchup he might be in. So you might just have to, you know, YOLO hope for those hair on fire games from him. And one thing I do like about him, even in a bad matchup, is there's still that garbage time potential. And he also has that just general high variance upside where the Bills defense is pretty good. And maybe if they generate a turnover or two and he can get some points off those turnovers, like he might not be efficient. He might not have 
you know, a real nice stat line overall. But if he can, you know, win the battle of touchdown variants to kind of make up for that, I think that's another way that he can kind of support himself as a fantasy viable quarterback more often than not. But it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out. Now, you compared him earlier to Lamar Jackson, and that was you know, the one game that I feel like most of us were at least keeping one eye on uh, on the early part of the Sunday slate was the Ravens at Kansas City. And that game like really captured my attention because it was billed as this, you know, these two great offenses, right? We know the Kansas City offense is great, but now that, you know, Lamar Jackson has come into his own, that offense has taken this step forward. And I think we need to pump the brakes on that a little bit. That's my big takeaway from this game because as great as Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense has played to date, they definitely weren't on the same level as Kansas City. Not yet, at least. I think there's still some uncertainty week to week with the target shares of the receivers in that offense, especially at wide receiver. I mean, at tight end, if Mark Andrews is healthy, we can kind of expect him to lead that group. But, you know, now that he isn't healthy, that's a little bit more nebulous. The wide receivers are always in flux. It seems like Seth Roberts was catching passes today. I, I don't see a whole lot of really actionable ways to use this offense in fantasy week to week, like consistently, except for Lamar Jackson, who is amazing, no doubt about it. He's like the perfect fantasy player. And then uh, I think Mark Ingram is the other safe play in that backfield. Uh, what, what do you think about what you saw from the Ravens offense today? And did they meet your expectations? I think they did, to be quite honest with you. I know I was seeing some takes on Twitter earlier today about you know Lamar Jackson struggling, and because they only faced, uh, what was it, a very poor and tanking like Miami defense uh, in week one. Who was their week two opponent? Was that Oakland uh, in week two? Hmm. I forget who their week two opponent was. I don't believe it was Oakland, but I'll look it up. Okay. Uh, regardless, I mean, the, I mean, he faced like two poor defenses in week one and week two. And now week three turns up, he comes up against a defense that I would say isn't one of the greatest, but still has their, their pass rush is still fairly decent. And just with the way that Kansas city, Kansas City's offense has been able to operate, it always forces opposing offenses into hurry-up mode because you're always playing catch-up like when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. So this is the first time we've actually had to see like Lamar Jackson actually try and push it. We have to see the entire offense try and push it to the next level. And so I think that's why I think that's what precipitated a lot of what we saw in the field where we're seeing Seth Roberts getting involved. We're seeing uh, Hayden Hurst getting involved now that uh, Mark Andrews had a setback with his foot injury. And while I think a lot of folks are, I guess, the Lamar Jackson detractors are like they're quick to point the finger and say, aha, like I knew this was going to happen at some point. Well, again, this is still an offense where their wide receiver one is is a rookie. I mean, and their wide receiver two, I guess it might be Willie Sneed. It might be Seth Roberts and it might be any one of the like 300 tight ends that they seem to have. <laughs> I mean, there, there's still a lot going on with this offense that we're still yet to figure out. There's still a, a lot to unfold as that offense begins to come together. So while a lot of folks might look at this game and say that this was a down game for Lamar Jackson, I'm encouraged to actually see that despite the fact that, I mean, they were able to that they lost. They were still able to get that many players involved and were able to see kind of how like who Lamar Jackson is actually going to start to rely on if his favorite playmakers aren't going to be there for him. And you start to see the ball. I mean, it, it sucks for fantasy because, I mean, we're seeing him pass to seven, eight different guys. But at the same time, we do know that because he has that hashtag Konami code and he's able to unlock, a, you know, 
40 yards and a touchdown. I think that's what he ran for today or something similar to that. I mean, so that that floor is always going to be there for him. So regardless of what the outcome today was, I think I'm very encouraged like for Baltimore moving forward, especially in the AFC North, despite every single team in the AFC North lost lost today. Baltimore lost, Cincinnati lost, Browns lost, and the Steelers lost. I mean, so we could very well still see Baltimore like easily like walk into the playoffs at this point because not too many other teams, I mean, other than the Browns, really have much to play for at this point. So I still think that like where the team is going, I think is positive, like from both a fantasy and an NFL standpoint. So I I don't I don't really I can't really take too much away from the mark given where they were at at the beginning of the season. Yeah, um, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, they played Arizona in week two. That's so right. There was yeah. the other, the terrible defense that they played. So those were two really, really soft matchups. Uh, and but to get back to Lamar, I, I wasn't trying to take anything away from him. I guess my the point I was trying to make is that figuring out which weapons from that offense to use week to week, I think is going to be a challenge. I think we're going to figure it out as these weeks play out, kind of as you just described, where we're going to see who Lamar Jackson really trusts as he you know gains more confidence as he plays more with these guys in a real NFL setting. But I, I'm skeptical to use any of those receiving options week to week, except for maybe Hollywood Brown, who seems to consistently be the top target there. But he's also to the point now where other teams are probably going to start to try to take him away and force him to throw to Willie Sneed, Seth Roberts, Miles Boykin, some of the back of tight ends. Like, I'm not worried about Lamar whatsoever. I'm just, in terms of fantasy, trying to sort out where those targets are going to go, I think is going to be difficult going forward. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's really, to me, it just comes down to Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, uh, Mark Andrews, if he's healthy, uh, Marquise Brown. But that's about it. I mean, unfortunate for Justice Hill, because I know a lot of, uh, you know, both redraft and like dynasty folks were really excited about him coming out. But it doesn't really look like he's going to get involved the way that we wanted to. So it's really just those four guys for me. Yeah, my hand is raised on the overvaluing Justice Hill train. And I mean, all it takes is an injury to Gus Edwards or an injury to Mark ingram for him to maybe find that value that we all wanted him to have but you're right i think for now he's sadly droppable in most formats like not in dynasty but in uh you know redraft i think you can probably cut justice hill going forward now we're going to talk more about mark andrew's health and some of the other injuries we saw but before we get there are there any other kind of big picture things that stood out to you uh in week three uh, not that I well the only other thing that I did want to talk about and we'll probably talk about this more in the injury portion but I mean should we should we get concerned about New England at this point I, I know they the Antonio Brown stuff we'll kind of toss it aside but uh, Julian Edelman his ribs uh, Josh Gordon playing through a finger injury I mean no Gronk and we're really going to rely on what Jacoby Myers and Philip Dorsett to kind of carry this team over the next, you know, 10 weeks or so. I'm just, I'm starting to get a a slightly concerned. Yeah, I can see it. And I guess I I do want to bring this back to uh, just a general kind of big picture takeaway from the week. And we talked about the Ravens offense and how how it's a good offense, but it's going to be hard to sort through, you know, which receivers you want in any given game. I think that that is true of a lot of the best offenses and New England's a great example of that, right? Like the, the preseason expectations, I think, with the Patriots were for them to be run heavy, to keep Tom Brady fresh for the playoffs, all that nonsense. And I really think we have to reevaluate those sorts of takes if, if you haven't already, because they led the Jets all game today. They went up as much as 30 to nothing, but that didn't stop Tom Brady from throwing the ball 42 times. And you compare that to only 22 rush attempts, you know, coming into the season, the consensus underrated Brady. It overrated Sony Michelle. I mean, it doesn't help now that Sony looks a little off, perhaps maybe injured or you know dealing with those chronic knee issues that we know he has. But 
all in all, this feels like kind of a classic Patriots case of a, a diversified attack. And how we approach the pieces of that offense in our lineups is going to be a challenge week to week, just like it is with the Ravens. And, you know, James White's going to be back and muddy the waters even further. Maybe the Edelman injury will help kind of narrow that usage tree a little bit, make it a little, uh, you know, easier for us to sort out. But I'm with you. Like, this is kind of one of those offenses that is going to be challenging no matter what because either it's really good and everybody's going to get a little bit, but we don't know who's going to go off in any given week. Or, you know, because of the injuries they're suffering, they will scale it back, become more of that running team that we expected them to be in the preseason I, I don't know, like, I kind of expected that today. Like, I, I made some moves to get Burkhead into my lineup, Rex Burkhead, over, you know, some more proven guys. And we'll talk more about that later, like some of the, the dumb bonehead moves I made. But I really expected them to try to just ground and pound the ball against the Jets. And that's not what they did. So maybe these injuries will change that. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I'm not entirely sure because I, I want to say that I think you're you're spot on in saying that uh, with the way that Belichick has really, you know, tried to mess with uh, at, like the opposing defensive coordinator and then subsequently the fantasy community in terms of who the offensive pieces of note are going to be week in and week out, and I want to say it's very much akin to how the San Francisco 49ers kind of play, you know, this completely spread offense, and that it could be mm-hmm. it could be George Kittle one week, it could be Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson, Dante Pettit. I mean, it could be any one of those guys. Uh, I want to say that oh, I forget who it was. It, it might have been Sig Bloom. I think on one of his podcasts where they likened this uh, the San Francisco offense to like the the minions. Uh, from, uh, yeah, from, uh, what is it, Despicable Me, where it's just they all look the same and they're just all producing and just pick one guy, then you'll probably be okay. I and that. I want to say it's it's very much the same in, in New England. Like we'll just we'll just never know, regardless of how many practice reports we, we hear, because remember during the offseason it was, oh, Sony Michelle, he's out running routes. He's a pass catching back now. Forget about Rex Burkhead. You know, Sony Michelle is now going to be also your pass catching back. How has that worked out for us? I mean, there's just there's so many like different like uh, angles that they play in terms of personnel usage that we're really just never going to know until we watch it all unfold and we're just like, oh yeah, I, I should have played. Oh, it's going to be Jacoby Myers for a hundred yards and two touchdowns this week. We'll just never know. Yeah, I feel like the Patriots will sometimes give you a little bit more clarity just based upon who is hurt or who like like today when James White was announced that he was going to be out to be there for the birth of his child. Like that was one of those things where. I think Rex Burkhead just immediately became like, uh, you know, a starter everywhere. Like I had him in a bunch of DFS lineups already because, like I said, I expected the pass to be run heavy. It really solidified my stance on that. I started putting him into my, uh, you know, seasonal league lineups. And that was a moment where, you know, based upon the way that Belichick tends to operate, I feel like I got some clarity. I think it's interesting that you bring up the Niners because the clarity we got from them today is that there still is no clarity. And I kind of like that, to be honest. Like, we just have no idea what their running back usage is going to be like in any given game. Like, it's a complete bona fide committee. At this point, we kind of know that Breda is the general workhorse, you know, between the 20s. Mostert is the guy that spells Breda. And then Jeff Wilson is the goal line guy. But I mean, if, if Breda, you know, punches one in from the 15, then Jeff Wilson doesn't get those opportunities, right? And so week to week, that's going to be crazy. That's going to be really infuriating. Like, if you own one of them and the other guy scores, you're just going to want to tear your hair out. But the thing I appreciate about the Niners is that we know that Kittle is the number one receiver on the team. Like, all the wideouts are second bananas to George Kittle as the alpha. And we now know, you know, kind of conf- we've confirmed that Jimmy Garoppolo is still a little bit shaky. Like, he didn't look great today. He, they made a lot of mistakes Turned the ball over way, way, way too much. 
And I don't know, I, I think that might just be who that team is. Now, the big surprise with them to me, that what would really stood out was their defense. And I know they were going up against Mason Rudolph, and we'll talk more about that later. But I don't know, the Niners are a fascinating case. And I think that the clarity we have with them is just to stay away when you can uh, from the running backs and from the receivers. I mean, you might get burned every once in a while, but I think in general we're going to be better off if we look to players on our rosters who have a little bit more clear and established roles week to week. I agree, and I think that when it comes to, I guess, our starters, like the guys that we're going to put in our RB, like wide receiver spots, like those are the guys that we want to, like, we want to target from concentrated offenses, flex spots, and you know, trying to make those decisions like later, like you know, that come down to almost to like you know the one o'clock like lock times for us, where it's like when the games are about to start, and it's like, okay, do, so should I play? Uh, Marquise Goodwin or should I play Rex Burkhead? I mean, those are probably questions that some folks like might have had to come down and like make that uh, make that decision. But like you just said, I mean, without James White, I mean that clarity like is provided to us and we can make that decision. But it it might come down to those last minute like those last minute news breaks that will kind of force you in one direction or another. And without that, I mean, we're going to be having to look at our rosters each like week in and week out and wonder. Should I have started, uh, you know, Raheem Mostert over Jeff Wilson, or should I, or even like Kyle Juszczyk was getting involved right. like earlier today, like almost out of nowhere. So it's like from teams that kind of have those uh, this like this depth at personnel and this spread like the spread offenses. Uh, it's going to be difficult to to try and make those decisions on our rosters week in and week out. Oh, and you better hope that you don't end up with a situation like the Chiefs had today, where there were all these pregame warmup reports about Lashawn McCoy practicing as the the third running back and not the top running back and right yeah darwin thompson oh my goodness yeah like oh darwin's gonna pop daryl williams is gonna pop and you know we can't play shady and of course shady is the one who scores the two touchdowns he really was the lead back for the first three quarters of that game and then they just benched him in the fourth quarter and at this point we might as well pivot to the injury discussion here uh the biggest injuries coming out of sunday and mccoy i think makes that list because he was shut down for the fourth quarter but to me this that was just load management like we're porting over all these things from the nba right with uh, player empowerment with antonio brown to load management with Lashawn mccoy and i think the same reason he didn't warm up as the starter is the same reason mccoy didn't play in the fourth quarter the chiefs are just trying to keep him fresh he's the alpha in this backfield i think we know that and it'll probably be a, more the same uh, heading into week four where he's questionable all week and then he'll be a game time decision or whatever and then he'll just suit up and play. He'll be the starter until they don't need him to be out there anymore and they can start to lean on those other backs that they have. Do you have anything else on McCoy or that Casey backfield or do you want to talk about a different injury uh, that you saw on Sunday? No, I think I think you're spot on because, I mean, unfortunately, I, I was something of a Damien Williams supporter like heading into the season. I was Same. really hoping after his, uh, you know, was it the three games during the regular season and into the playoffs, I was hoping he'd be able to keep his hands on that backfield. But it really doesn't look like uh, with McCoy's like former, uh, you know, like understanding the read offense as soon as he like he was signed and picked up. I mean, it just seems like it, they just kind of him and Andy Reid kind of picked up where they left off. And he's just he's. Is already like the number one in that in that backfield. So I, I'd be much, uh, you know, for folks that held on to McCoy. Hey, it absolutely worked out for you. So I think that uh, regardless of what happens when Damian Williams returns, and McCoy is the one they're going to turn to. Yeah. Now speaking of injuries, I think we buried the lead on the biggest story from this weekend, and that's Saquon Barkley injuring his ankle. First of all, do you have any interest in Wayne Gallman? Because I'm probably just out. I, I pass on that player. I just don't think he's that good. I'm out. I mean, unless 
Uh, I mean, the only, I guess, to play devil's advocate, because Daniel Jones was at least able to move the offense, I mean, we'll see. I mean, they play the Redskins, if I'm not mistaken, in week four. Uh, so, it, I mean, there's a pretty good chance that uh, the Giants are able to move the ball again, so that should generate some high-value touches within the red zone. So there is a world where Wayne Gallman has value. But, I mean, if this was Eli Manning, of course, I'd be completely hands-off. But, I mean, just to keep my options open for the folks that are that play in some deep leagues, I mean, if if this is the new face, I mean, this is the way that the Giants are going to operate now where they're going to be able to move the ball and actually get into scoring position, I can see a case where Wayne Gallman has value. But for me, no, I'm I'm out. Yeah, and we'll talk more about him on the waiver show tomorrow. With Barkley potentially being out for multiple weeks here, I think it's being described as a high ankle sprain, or like that's what we're estimating it to be. How does that impact your view of the rest of this offense, of Daniel Jones, of the receivers? Not necessarily Gallman, but does this necessarily promote one of the wide receivers or maybe Evan Ingram as a player who you think is going to get more volume now that Barkley is out? I think so. I mean, I don't see why not. Because beforehand, you would have thought that many of the you know short dump off passes that Saquon was getting beforehand, like prior to with just with, with Eli Manning under center. I mean, but now you have uh, Sterling Shepard; he's back. Uh, Evan Ingram, I mean, with I mean just some amazing catches, like here in Week Three. I mean, they were able to actually involve. I mean, Darius Slayton, Russell Shepard. Uh, even Benny Fowler. I mean, but now and then you have Golden Tate coming back in week five. I mean, this is now potentially an offense that's going to be, I mean, hitting like three or four guys like on a weekly basis. So if it's not Saquon, like catching some of those dump off passes, you can probably project uh, most of your uh, most of the normal uh, pass catchers for for uh, for the Giants. I mean, Ingram Shepard, uh, you know, catching a few more balls each week. So, yeah, I would see it. I would see that being, uh, a, I guess, uh, a positive for uh, for the pass catchers from the Giants. Yeah, fair enough. Now let's rattle through a few more injuries. And if you have any strong opinions on any of these, feel free to chime in. But I'm going to kind of just update the listeners on what we saw. Uh, T.Y. Hilton injured his quad. Uh, you wrote here in the notes that it was described as nonchalant, uh, despite being shut down halfway through the game. And I think I can believe that because Indy was really cruising over Atlanta today. And I, I maybe kind of like LaShawn McCoy getting shut down in that game in Kansas City, uh, maybe they just didn't need T.Y. Hilton to close out uh, their game against the Falcons. Um, Keanu Neal on the other side of the ball there, uh, the defender for the Falcons, uh, you know, looks like he might have messed up his ACL again. And I don't know, man, why can't the Falcons have nice things on defense? Like, I, I'm curious. Yeah, I just how, don't get it. Yeah. How do you think this impacts uh, Atlanta's offensive players in fantasy? Like, is this another situation where Matt Ryan's just going to have to chuck it every game, same as it ever was? Yeah, I think so, and that's kind of the sad part. And I guess to to add insult to injury, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Keanu Neal wound up getting flagged for an unsportsmanlike <laughs> conduct because he threw his helmet after he got hurt because he was so distraught over the fact that he missed. I mean, he missed what 15 games last season when he tore his ACL, and then now it's only week three, and he's most likely going to be done for the season with an Achilles tear. I mean, I just I feel bad for the guy. I really do. And then I guess to add insult to injury, he gets you know a 15 yard penalty like thrown on for throwing his helmet. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think your point as well as well said that if the a Falcon secondary is going to continue to suffer injuries, I believe this is now the third injury to their secondary, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, either way, 
I mean, this is going to force uh, Matt Ryan into a, a lot of shootouts. I can already see that happening. Um, I forget. I, we talked about it earlier, but, I mean, they, they host the Titans in week four. So if you're – if he had a – I mean, any Marcus Mariota truthers that are still out there, if they still happen to exist, or even Corey, da- uh, Corey Davis dynasty truthers, any of those guys still out there, I mean, there is a chance that Marcus Mariota could be a serviceable streamer like in week four. I mean, just based off of the fact that Atlanta is hurting so much, like on their on their defense. That's about the only positive thing I could spend, like going for going forward for Mariota. That's about it. Mariota against Atlanta or Josh Allen against New England? Who are you using if that's your choice? Oof, man, I'd, I'd probably have to give it to Marcus Mariota. I really do. I mean, after the way, I mean, uh, New England has given up how many how many touchdowns have I mean? They've, I think they've given up like less than three touchdowns on the year. I'd probably still roll with Allen. I just the the rushing production's better. I think that, like I said earlier, there's more touchdown variance with him. Like I, Mar- Mariota has not looked good, and if he struggles against a banged up Atlanta defense, I think that that is a situation where Ryan Tannehill might end up coming in in the middle of that game, and that's just that's that true. terrifies me. I really don't want to have mm-hmm. to deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. A few few more injury notes to get out of here. Uh, Ito Smith had a concussion. I don't think we need to you know really spend a whole lot of time on that, but. This might be a situation where, you know, DeFonta Freeman gets a little bit more of a workload. Uh, maybe Brian Hill or Quadri Olison. I, I wish I knew how to pronounce that guy's name. Um, maybe those guys get a little bit of work uh, instead of Smith. But there's also the chance that maybe Smith just comes back from the concussion protocol in one week. We'll have to f- wait and see. Uh, Vance McDonald uh, had a shoulder injury. Uh, he did not return in that game after he went out. Xavier Grimble uh, was the backup to kind of take his place for the Steelers and Based upon what we saw from that offense with Mason Rudolph under center, I don't think you want any part of Xavier Grimble. I think that's maybe a slight positive bump for the receivers in that offense. Uh, And then the last one here was an injury that you noted, Chris. Justin Reed, the Texan safety. Uh, What do you see happening to that secondary in Houston now that uh, that Justin Reed is out? Uh, something very similar to I think to what we saw towards the end of the 2018 season, where their pass rush and their their uh, their rush defense was still fairly solid, uh, even with I think JJ Watt he got shut down like towards the end of last season, but throughout most of the back half of last season it was JJ Watt. Uh, and then their pass rush was still decent, but it was their corners that were just playing terrible. So they turned into this pass funnel, and so we've got the same thing coming up here in Week Four. And I forget who they – I think they play the Panthers, if I'm not mistaken. The Panthers travel to Correct. Texas yeah, in order to play. So with Kyle Allen looking decent, I mean, this might be another case, you know, another a viable uh, spot start for him, assuming Cam Newton sits in week four, which uh, everything that I've read so far seems to suggest that will be the case. It will be more Kyle Allen here in week four. So if that's the case and the Houston Texans are looking like a pass funnel, I would say fire up, you know, keep Kyle Allen in your lineups if you happen to pick him up this week. Yeah, and it is possible that maybe Justin Reed can play through this injury. He gutted it out a little bit in the game today. Uh, do you know exactly what happened there? Like, did he end up finishing the game or not? Uh, he was in and out like twice throughout, and I, he was able to finish the game. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, but from uh, everything that I saw, it seemed like it was going to be something that uh, he'll be limited throughout the entire week, and it, uh, he might not be able to make it for the next game. But they do have; it's not like they're playing on Thursday, so he should have the the full week to recover. Okay, so yeah, keep an eye on that. That might be a, a situation to exploit uh, with that Panthers offense for sure. 
that's all I got on the injury front. Is there anything I missed, Chris, besides uh, just knowing exactly what the status of Justin Reed was? I think that's about it. I think we covered everything. Okay, uh, so we're going to get into a little bit more from week three, including the status update on you know, the new quarterback starting uh, this week. Uh, and then we're also going to get into our booms and busts of the week. I'm going to try a different format for that this time around. But first, let's take a break for our sponsor of the show. And that's Fantasy Draft, the only rake-free daily fantasy site in the business. They gave out a $100,000 first place payout today in the Hooter Main event. That was the largest rake-free contest anywhere in week three and the only one of its kind. All told, Fantasy Draft gave out $750,000 in prizes in the Hooter Main event and all those winnings were rake-free. That's right. Fantasy Draft is the only daily fantasy site with no management fees taken out of the prize pools, and this isn't just some limited promotion. 100% of Fantasy Draft's contests are rake-free. Meanwhile, other DFS sites can continue to raise their rakes, squeeze their prize pools, and make it harder for players like you to win. But at Fantasy Draft, the days of paying up to 16% of your entry fees to the house are over. Sign up at FantasyDraft.com today with promo code 444, and you'll get a free 7-day trial on your first $1,000 of rake-free entry fees. That's FantasyDraft.com with the promo code 444, 4-F-O-R-4. Don't miss your shot at millions of dollars in rake-free contests this season. Start playing at Fantasy Draft today. Okay, Chris, I want to talk about the quarterbacks who began their careers as starters uh, this week. Or maybe not began their careers, but got their first starting action in the 2019 NFL season. And we're going to start with Luke Falk because I really don't think there's much to say about the Jets' new quarterback performance. Uh, 12 of 22, about a 55% completion rate, only 98 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. That's a 4.5 yards per attempt, no rushing yards, under two fantasy points all told. Come back soon, Sam Darnold, please. You'd hope. I mean, I don't. I don't really know, like how, like what a worse situation could be for a, like a starting quarterback. I mean, he got thrust into the game last week uh, after Trevor Simeon had that. I mean, it was absolutely awful ankle injury. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, as as we were talking about earlier in the Patriots defense, and I've, I've been hearing this around the league for a while, and I remember actually talking with uh, Pat Thorman about it. I think it was after it was during week one, actually, that this is probably one of the best uh, defensive units that Tom Brady has had, like like in his entire career, like as a New England Patriot. It's been a while since we've seen the Patriots defense play so well. It actually used to be uh, one of the defenses we wanted to target in fantasy just a couple years ago. And now, I mean, they've only allowed, I think, is I was just looking it up a second ago. They've allowed 17 points. That's it. This entire I mean, they shut out Miami three points to the Steelers, and then uh, the Jets scored 14. But, the, I mean, seven of those came on that pick six uh, when Jarrett Siddham came in. So really it comes down to ten points. And, I mean, so we couldn't really expect much out of the out of the, uh, out of of the the Jets' offense uh, this uh, this week. So it was hard to really expect much out of Luke Falk. And, I mean, this is kind of what you get. I mean, it's unfortunate that he gets thrust into this situation with – uh, Jamison Crowder, and you know, being your, I guess, your number one receiver, I guess, uh, because Robbie Anderson was getting bottled up throughout throughout most of the game, so it's a uh, it's a difficult ask, and uh, you know, I'm not too surprised that this was the outcome. Yeah, I me mean, neither. And I'm, who's to know how much better Darnold actually would have done against that defense? I think you make a great point. They, they are really formidable this season, and it's going to be tough for everyone to play against them, not just Luke Falk. Uh, let's talk about Mason Rudolph, and he had a you know strangely tough time against. The Niners defense, who I think 
are good, but w- maybe this was a case of the Steelers' offense just being bad. Uh, Rudolph went 14 of 26. That's about 54% completion percentage. 174 yards, two touchdowns, one inter- one interception, 6.7 yards per attempt. Uh, four rushes for 15 yards, about 15 fantasy points in the end. Uh, what is your take on this Mason Rudolph performance? Do you think this is more due to his struggles uh, running that offense for the Steelers, or do you think we need to pay more respect to the Niners' defense, or maybe is it both? Uh, I think it's a bit of both, to be quite honest with you. The 49ers' defense, they've actually played fairly decent. I know in week one they're playing against uh, you know uh, James uh, James Winston, and if there's any chance that you can you know target a defense like playing against James Winston, go ahead and do it because he's turnover prone. Either way, I mean, I think they've played like fairly decent now since they have Bosa kind of working with that with that defensive unit. But I don't know. I mean, after uh, after uh, seeing some of that game, I wonder if you know it's Rudolph just trying to get comfortable with the offense because at least the idea kind of coming into that game was that they would be able to work with some of the the primary weapons on that team. So we would expect to see more of James Conner. We expect to see more of Juju Smith-Schuster. And it seemed like, I mean, from from everything that I've heard, I mean, other than Juju's uh, fairly long touchdown, I forget how long it went for, but I I remember seeing a lot of Deontay Johnson. Uh, I saw a little bit of James Washington. So I'm seeing it more spread out where – I think the, the general narrative being that when some of these uh, like new quarterbacks come in, they kind of like lock in on some of the talented players that are already on that team, and we just didn't see that. So it was a bit, it was a bit odd. So I'm wondering if it was just a bit more of him trying to get comfortable with the offense, and then also just again, like you mentioned, just a bit of the 49ers defense actually playing well this season. That's a good way to describe it because early in the game, it seemed like the Steelers' offense was wrapped in bubble wrap. They really didn't want anything to go wrong. They weren't really letting Mason Rudolph throw it down the field that far. Or maybe he just was choosing not to throw it down the field. He seemed like he was playing a little scared and a little tentative. In the second half, they did open things up. He started to throw the ball down the field a little bit more. I did watch most of that game. But the Niners' defense is impressive to me. It has impressed me. They haven't played a ton of great opponents it not only did they play Tampa then they played Cincinnati and now they're playing you know a a first-time starter in Mason Rudolph so we'll have to wait and see what they look like against a team like the Rams or even Russell Wilson and the Seahawks but the additions that they've made on the defensive side of the ball I'm starting to believe that that might be a matchup to avoid because it wasn't just them bottling up Mason Rudolph they didn't really let James Conner do much either Uh, Juju was largely shut down except for that one big catch it was 76 yards and most of it came on yak so or yards after the catch so I I don't know. Like I think the Niners defense is legit. That's the bigger takeaway for me here. Mm-hmm. And I'm still holding out some hope for Mason Rudolph. They play the Bengals next week, so they got that going for them. Th- there you go. That could be, you know, the 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 great elixir that, that fixes that offense. We'll see. Speaking of, you know, the great elixir, Teddy Bridgewater, like what did he drink uh leading into the week? Because he was really shaky last uh when he came in last week in relief of Drew Brees. But he was very efficient, kind of the quintessential game manager. Uh, 19-27, about 70% completion percentage, 177 yards. That's not many, but two touchdowns, no interceptions. A little bit of rushing production, not much, but 16 fantasy points. And meanwhile, Taysom Hill did nothing. One rush, one reception, no pass attempts. Uh, Only a point and a half for Taysom Hill in half-point PPR formats. I think this is kind of going to be the way that the... Saints are going to operate going forward. That's that's my expectation is that they're not going to ask Bridgewater to do too much, but when he what he does do, he's going to do cleanly. He's going to do it relatively efficiently, but you're probably not going to get a whole lot of explosive plays from him. Do you have a, a different read on that, or are you kind of in step with me? 
No, I'm, I'm in step with you here. And I mean, this was pretty much what I expected to happen and kind of what I was alluding to when we were talking about Mason Rudolph, because when you completely change, like who's going to be under center, who do you lean on? You lean on your playmakers. I mean, Alvin Kamara. Oh, my gosh. He was just yeah. I mean, he was lighting up the field like with missed tackles. And I mean, he basically just put that team on his back. I mean, in the. We like right behind him in terms of receiving. I mean, Michael Thomas was getting peppered with targets. I mean, it was we're just going to take our playmakers and here use these guys, and that was my expectation for Mason Rudolph. And I mean, Sean Payton. I mean, he drew up the right game plan in order to make Teddy Bridgewater feel comfortable. I mean, going across country, playing in Seattle. I mean, this was something that I mean, you, a lot of players, like a lot of opposing teams, find it tough to go play up there. So. When you do that, I mean, and you're able to actually create a game plan where it's just here, I'm going to give you these guys and we're, you're going to target these guys in order to use them by the way that we would expect them to be used. I mean, that's where you you start to see some of this. Uh, I mean, how many catches? I mean, almost like 10 receptions, I want to say, like for Alvin Kamara. I mean, and uh, Michael Thomas was like right behind him in terms of receiving. I mean, this is if you're able to game plan specifically and like use your playmakers as you're supposed to, then this is the type of output that you can expect to see. I don't want to read too much into just one game and one performance from that offense, but I am starting to get worried about Jared Cook now that Bridgewater is the quarterback. Like because of the, he's generally, uh, you know, a low A dot guy. And Cook is more of that, you know, down the seam type of player. I'm worried that he's not going to get the target share that we wanted him to get. He only had two targets today, and that he's not working in the area of the field that lines up with Teddy Bridgewater. It's kind of like the opposite case of what's going on with Darren Waller and Derek Carr in Oakland, right? Where where the tight end runs routes tends to line up really well with where Carr wants to put the ball, but where you know Jared Cook is running routes in the Saints offense doesn't necessarily line up with Teddy Bridgewater likes to do with the ball. And from that game, I don't want to read too much into it yet, but that's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on going forward to see if it's a trend. Now, getting back to quarterbacks, we kind of saved the best two for last. And I think coming into the week, you would have surprised everybody if you told me that these, or if you told them that these were the two guys who ended up performing the best of the new starters. Daniel Jones, Kyle Allen, both had huge games. Uh, Daniel Jones had over 300 passing yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 9.3 yards per attempt. He also gave you two rushing scores for 34 fantasy points. Kyle Allen, four passing touchdowns, 261 yards, 10 yards per attempt even. No rushing production whatsoever from Allen, of course, uh, but he was scrambling around a lot in the pocket to, to rack up those passing totals. About 24 points for him. I, I think we can throw a grain of salt of both of these guys for the matchups they were in. You know, Jones against Tampa Bay, uh, Kyle Allen against Arizona, who we know is soft, but uh, which one of these two performances from you know new starters at the quarterback position shocked you more, Daniel Jones or Kyle Allen? Oh, easily Daniel Jones. I mean, for as much slander that was thrown at Dave Gettleman and like the entire Giants organization when they wound up selecting uh, Daniel Jones, I mean, it was just it was it made me laugh i mean almost like in a i don't know as a kind of like a chaotic way because i mean we as uh, as fantasy as you know as fantasy football like players or advocates or what like analysts whatever you want to call us but i mean for as for as fans of the game we always want to believe that we know best but when players go out and they perform in this way which completely shocks us it's just 
that's why we enjoy watching this game. That's why we enjoy, you know, trying to understand the storylines and like try and fit their like a player's abilities into, you know, articles and pieces, you know, podcasts and whatnot. So this was really fun to watch to see a player that a lot of us like during the draft process kind of left for dead because we thought this was an organization that was going in the opposite direction. But when we see, I mean, Danny Dimes like come out there and just completely light up the Bucks, who I thought had been playing like fairly decent defense over the last couple of weeks i mean it was i mean it was really fun to watch i mean we see even after taking away i mean you take away saquon barkley and you're leaving him with this cast of characters that, i mean where i mean evan ingram i guess we can't take anything away from him can't take anything away from sterling Shepard. but then after that we're talking about benny fowler red ellison i mean it uh yeah, russell Shepard. I mean, but still, he was able to produce and actually win an NFL NFL game, especially in the way that they wanted. I mean, it was like it came down to the wire. I mean, that's what we like to see as NFL fans. So I thought, from a product standpoint, and from just a just a, as a general football fan, I thought that was the the be, the best shock of uh, week three. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he can keep it up because the schedule does get tougher going forward. He's got a matchup coming up against the Vikings, another one against New England, who we've already discussed as being a very difficult opponent for quarterbacks and just offenses in general. So, again, grain of salt based upon the Tampa Bay matchup, but you got to be at least a little excited if you stash Daniel Jones as your you know your QB3 or your QB4 in a super flex league. Uh, Kyle Allen, kind of same thing at this point. Unfortunately, I don't know how much longer we can expect him to kind of hold that gig because we have to assume that once Cam Newton is healthy, he's going to be uh, you know back in there starting under center for the Panthers. But what this did show me, what Allen did show me, was that we don't have to worry about the playmakers on that team. Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey. Kind of like with Bridgewater and the Saints, North Turner and the Carolina coaching staff knows who their playmakers are. They know how to get those guys the ball, and Kyle Allen can do it maybe not quite as well as a healthy Cam Newton could, but he did fine today. Uh, I think either one of them could have easily been you know, one of the booms of the week, uh, but we're changing up how we do that. Let's get into that now, Chris. I, instead of you know just going through uh, generally which guys you know impressed you over the weekend, I want us to talk specifically about your teams, and I'm going to bring up some players from my teams as well. I, let's just start at the top. Boom of the week. Which of your fantasy starters made the biggest or most unexpected kind of positive impact on your fantasy teams this week? How easily it was Mark Ingram. I mean, going into the Chiefs Ravens game, all I could think was it's going to be pass, pass, pass. I mean, it's going to be. Uh, Lamar Jackson to Hollywood Brown for 80 yards and a touchdown. It's going to be Lamar Jackson to Mark Andrews for maybe you know 50 yards and two touchdowns, like something like that. But I did not think like in that, but in that game, I did not see Mark Ingram going for not one, not two, but three touchdowns and and over 100 yards rushing. I mean, I can maybe see. I mean, his range of outcomes for three touchdowns, I could think maybe were would be scored on you know bunny touchdowns, like short yardage touchdowns, like very similar to what Aaron Jones like wound up doing earlier today for the Packers. But 100 yards rushing and three touchdowns. I mean, I just did not see that coming, like with the way that that game set up in my mind as I was projecting it out earlier in the week. Yeah, for me, it was Tyler Lockett, just because I still had doubts that he would be able to be that, you know, target hog with so few other established receivers around him. And now that Doug Baldwin's gone, I just thought that opposing defenses would more easily be able to scheme Lockett away or, you know, take him out of the game plan of the Seattle passing attack. But 
I mean, those doubts are all pretty much dispelled at this point. I am excited to see, you know, how he can do as the, you know, the locked-in number one in that offense. Uh, it, it was a really impressive performance today. I mean, I know a lot of that stuff in Seattle came in garbage time when they were playing catch-up uh, against the Saints, but Lockett kind of assuaged a lot of my fears about his production going forward. Now, uh, which of your bench players, Chris, had the biggest or most unexpected positive performance? Like, what do you think you missed with that player? Uh, was it just you know, that your roster had an embarrassment of riches or uh, did you did you miss something that uh, maybe you could have seen if you had thought, you know, longer and harder about potentially starting that player? Uh, for me, it was Joe Mixon. I mean, this is in a league where actually like by, um, I guess by happenstance, I auto-drafted like Joe Mixon by mistake. And for the first couple of weeks, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to try and package him in a deal because I, I just I wanted to trade him. I mean, Cincinnati for I mean, for all of their uh, I guess for being 0 and 3, Andy Dalton has looked surprisingly good. Now, that's obviously impacted the running game because they've been passing so often, which is great for fantasy. But we would expect Joe Mixon, because we've all seen him be a versatile back, that he would be catching more passes and being able to contribute uh, to the, our fantasy rosters that way. But he really hasn't. Uh, but so this week, I was really surprised in that in that game against Buffalo that one he got going on the ground, like we saw like a, a healthy amount of rush attempts for Joe Mixon. But then also his uh, his TD that uh, that he got earlier today. It wasn't just from it wasn't through the ground. It was actually like on like from the one or two yard line. He was actually schemed open for a, re- a receiving touchdown. So to me, it, it signals that uh, Zach Taylor has starting to figure out you know how to involve all the pieces in the offense. And even it's still without having AJ Green. Uh, you know, there's still a way to get Joe Mixon involved like through the passing game. So while there was something of a 50-50 split between him and Gio, I, I think that moving forward, we might be able to get a little bit more comfortable with Joe Mixon. But we'll have to wait and see again because they do have a pretty tough uh, opponent with uh, the Steelers coming up next week. But there might be something to it that we might be able to recoup some value from Joe Mixon going forward. I can tell you and I look at the fantasy game in a very similar way because I also benched Joe Mixon in a couple spots today. And uh, the, another guy that could be my answer for this question is Mark Ingram. I mentioned this earlier, but I got cute. I started Rex Burkhead over him. I started Braid over him. I had the same concerns about Ingram that you did uh, when he you actually left him in your lineup and he pleasantly surprised you with you know not too much of a pass-first approach. Like They were still running the ball against the Chiefs. But I, I want to use this moment to highlight Miles Sanders. Just because I still feel like there might be a little bit of time to buy somewhat low on him before he really emerges as the lead back in the Philly offense. And it helps that Alshon Jeffrey didn't play, that Deshaun Jackson didn't play, that Dallas Goddard was dinged up a little bit. Sanders got a little bit more volume because of that. But I look at what he's doing in the Philadelphia offense, and I don't really see a player who's all that different than someone like Aaron Jones, who you mentioned before. Like a guy who's in a timeshare for sure, but he's the lead guy in that timeshare and will get goal line opportunities. And I think that maybe the fantasy community hasn't quite caught up to Miles Sanders. Now, I'm saying maybe go try to trade for him. The problem is, is that if somebody still has Miles Sanders on their roster, they probably liked him a lot in the first place. It might still be tough to pry him away, but I don't know. Maybe you get somebody who has more concerns about that being, you know, a full on timeshare going forward. I think we're going to see him get more and more opportunities as the season plays out. And so I'd be looking to maybe uh, acquire him. Does does anybody else kind of stand out to you, Chris, as maybe a buy low at this point, just you know, putting aside the booms of the week for a second? 
Um, I, I'm starting to like. I'm starting to think about my recommendation to drop Dante Pettis. I think I wrote up an article about him mm. last week. And again, as we as we discussed with San Francisco, it's hard to pinpoint like who the target monster is going to be week in and week out. But if he's kind of out of the doghouse or whatever riff was going between him and Kyle Shanahan, and he's going to start to get used more. I mean, he might be somebody that you could pick up. I mean, you might be able to pick him up off the waiver wire in some cases, because a lot of people uh, might have dropped him. So it's possible that you might be able to buy buy low on, on Dante Pettis at this point. Which free agent player, like somebody in your league who wasn't owned at all, had the biggest or most unexpected positive performance? Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head... Uh, for like a complete outlier performance, but I think the the one player uh, that does come to mind is uh, is Dawson Knox. Um, I actually mm. wound up having to do uh, use him in a spot start in a in a deeper in a deeper league. And again, as I mentioned, with Josh Allen now kind of kind of coming into form as a, as a quarterback, we weren't really sure how like how some of those targets were going to be spread out. And we, we already mentioned John Brown. We mentioned Cole Beasley. But that tight end position, like even when Dawson Knox was was drafted, because uh, like a lot of folks were like they were really excited about his measurables. Tyler Croft, the, who they got up from Cincinnati, going down with injury. So it really is about like, you know, is he able to, I guess, progress as um, like as a tight end, both as a blocker and a receiver. And like he had, uh, I think it was like a 20 or 30 yard catch and run uh, earlier today where he was you know kind of stumbling bumbling like he truck stick like one uh, like these one or two defenders so i mean he dropped a touchdown unfortunately we caught one earlier in the game so he was one guy that i was actually pleasantly surprised to see actually uh, we were able to pick up and use this week so i don't know what his outlook is going to be going forward but at least if he's going to become that i guess somewhat reliable uh, tight end option, or I mean, third or fourth option in that uh, in that Bills receiving game, he might be worth a, a look in terms of like streaming tight ends in the future. Yeah, my guy here is also a tight end, Demetrius Harris of the Browns, taking over for the injured David Njoku. And I really think the Browns need their tight end to be a red zone threat. And Harris came through on Sunday night with a touchdown grab. I expect more of that to come. Um, Odell Beckham is going to command a lot of attention when they get down into the scoring area. And with that in mind, that's going to open up room for Demetrius Harris to operate, for Jarvis Landry to operate, for Nick Chubb to operate. I I would actually like to see Baker Mayfield maybe use his legs a little bit more in those sorts of situations. But, I mean, I understand why, you know, the Browns might not necessarily want to put him in harm's way like that based upon his size. But anyway, Demetrius Harris uh, is a player that I wish I had picked up more entering the week because now he's going to be one of the hotter tight end commodities to pick up. But I guess maybe if I miss on Demetrius, I might be able to get Dawson Knox. So, uh, we got some options there. We'll talk more about them on the waiver show tomorrow. Let's get to the bust of the week, Chris. Which player made the biggest or most unexpected negative impact on your fantasy rosters this week? So can we talk about, I mean, so what are our expectations for the Green Bay passing offense going forward? I know mm-hmm. that Aaron Rodgers, uh, despite the fact that, I mean, we get rid of Mike McCarthy, we bring in Matt LaFleur, even though I wasn't really all that high on Matt LaFleur after we saw what happened with the Titans in 2018. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, I mean, for all of his strengths or like or all of his perceived strengths and being like on this Hall of Fame trajectory, he's looked kind of like a game manager over the first few weeks of the season. I mean, Devontae Adams, he only had, I think, what, four or five targets this week. I mean, week one, I know that they were going up against a a tough Chicago defense, and we really didn't see him do much there. Uh, So, 
I mean, I guess I'm not sure what our expectations are going to be for for Adams going forward after his 2018 campaign where he was uh, getting eight plus targets, uh, scoring a touchdown like seemingly almost every week. Uh, I mean, now it's Marquez Valdez Scantling. I mean, Geronimo Allison caught a touchdown last week. Uh, so even if the touchdowns aren't there, we were expecting the volume to be there, and it's just not. So that was a my, my kind of it was a surprise that we weren't really re- able to recoup any value this week in what I thought was going to be a really good matchup for for uh, at least for Adams. There's an issue of circumstance here where that kind of got pushed to the wayside, right? Because uh, I, I read somewhere I can't remember who tweeted this, but based upon the 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 health of the Denver defense. It worked out to where Chris Harris Jr. was going to be able to follow Devontae Adams around on defense for most of that game. And I don't know if that's exactly what happened. I didn't get to watch a single minute of that contest, unfortunately. I'll have to wait until the uh, you know the quarterback versus wide receiver data comes to light. But if that was the case, that might explain why Adams only got targeted four times today. That would make uh, sense, yes. In week one, he got eight targets. In week two, he got nine targets. You know, had 100 yards last year or last week. He doesn't have any touchdowns thus far in the season. I mean, if anything, I think that maybe Adams is a buy low. Now, the bigger picture question here of what should we expect from the Packers passing offense as a whole, I think that's a valid concern. Uh, I, I, I mean, Rodgers definitely is not the same player he used to be. We have to be skeptical of Matt LaFleur based upon not only what he's doing this year, but what he did last year in Tennessee. Like This is an offense that we can't necessarily trust in the same way that maybe we thought we'd be able to in the preseason. I think you're you're really good to raise that. You're really smart to raise that concern. But I, I think with Adams, I'm not too worried yet. I'm going to give that at least another week. He gets Philly next week, Dallas after that. That you know the game script and the you know opposing defenses should bump his targets back up, I imagine. Uh, and so we'll have to keep an eye on. It. I mean, you and I were discussing the Green Bay Denver matchup before it even started this morning, saying, or at least I was saying, it was interesting to me because I was wondering when the quote unquote good Denver defense was going to show up because we mm-hmm. haven't seen them yet, right? And it it seems like maybe that might be what happened today, at least in terms of their pass defense. Uh, it, it seems like teams are much more prone to run against Denver because of that pass rush, like trying to keep that pass rush at bay. And this it, might just have been a circumstance of matchup for Adams and for the Green Bay passing attack. I don't know. It, it does seem to look that way. And uh, I believe the news earlier in the week, as I think Matt LaFleur had suggested, was that they, they do want to try and see more of a balanced offense, especially like the splits between Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones. I think Williams wound up having uh, more attempts this week than Aaron Jones, even though Jones got the two touchdowns. So like his owners were, were bailed out, at least in that respect. So it seems like it, they are trying to like uh, turn the Packers offense into like a balanced offense. I'm, I'm seeing... 29 attempts for Aaron Rodgers. I'm seeing about 22, 23 rushing attempts for between uh, Williams and Jones. So, I mean, fairly balanced offense. And so if this is what we're supposed to expect moving forward, we're going to have to, again, adjust kind of our, our expectations for both the, the touches between Williams and Jones and then also the passing offense as a whole. Uh, the biggest bust for my fantasy roster today was definitely Kenny Galladay. He busted for me in multiple leagues and a bunch of DFS lineups. That was uh, a really tough one to deal with. Um, but let's get to the players who actually did bench. Which player who put up a dud did you correctly bench this week, Chris? And do you feel like your process was correct in you, when you did that? Or did the player bust for maybe some unexpected reason, something you didn't foresee? Like maybe you just got lucky. 
I really don't understand what Minnesota is doing. Well, I I think we knew what was going to happen with Minnesota just with the way that their 2018 season ended and that Zimmer wanted to run the ball, run the ball, and then run the ball some more and then maybe a punt and then run after that. And Stefan Diggs is just getting – I mean he is – He's feeling the brunt of all of that. I mean, Adam Thielen is like he's getting a, a rushing touchdown on top of getting a receiving touchdown, and Diggs is not really seeing any of that love. I mean, I'm hoping for a bounce back at some point, but at least my my stance going into the season was that I I like uh, Stephon Diggs. To me, is one of the best route runners in the league. I mean, he's probably like top three for me, and I was really hoping that that would be something that. Kirk Cousins will be able to lean on, and it just doesn't really seem to be the case. I mean, he had the, I think it was like a 45-yarder last week, and then he had another touchdown that was called back on a penalty. But other than that, that's really the only, like, really positive blip we've seen from Diggs. So other, I just couldn't bring myself to start him this week, so I wound up benching them, and it, that process turned out to be correct, unfortunately. Yeah, but hey, at least you had the right read. And uh, I had a similar take, and this isn't quite as bold, but uh, James Washington, like, there were all these... You know, the speculation that, oh, because he was a college team with Mason Rudolph, these guys are going to have an immediate connection in the NFL. And it turns out that Mason Rudolph still needs to prove himself. So does James Washington. Uh, Washington did draw a long defensive pass interference penalty in that game against the Niners. But this is one of those situations where I'm not going to believe it till I see it. I'm not going to just blindly plug James Washington into a lineup because he had that you know college rapport with Rudolph. That's just not good process. I, I feel like um, it was smart to kind of fade that offense in general just to kind of gather more data this week and uh, i mean the data we gathered wasn't great but um, as we talked about earlier maybe it was partially based on the niners defense Mm -hmm. Uh, all right last one chris which player owned by an opponent that busted this week are you glad did so like uh i'm hoping that this this segment will start to turn into a place where analysts can throw shade at other analysts uh, that they (laughs) that they saw uh, somebody be like for example uh for me it was vance mcdonald uh, my buddy Jeff Dumont was talking trash uh, to me on Twitter about how he was going to beat me with the tight end that I dropped earlier in the season. And I had good reasons to drop Vance McDonald. And, of course, Vance only had one catch for 10 yards. Uh, Jeff also had Chris Godwin bust for him. Saquon Barkley bust for him in that same matchup. So, needless to say, I had a lot of options here to uh, to throw shade at, at my buddy Jeff. And uh, I, I don't know. D- does anybody fit the bill for you? Yeah. On, for as many, I don't know how many leagues you are uh, in this, this season. Too but- many. Yeah, same. Uh, but for as many as I'm in, for some reason I wound up facing Zach Ertz in probably like four leagues or so. And every time that I looked over and I saw who I was playing, I was just like, oh my gosh. So that's like, I might as well just go ahead and pencil in, you know, 16 to 20 points there because I was after last week when he got, I think it was like 16 targets like last week with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, also Dallas Goddard. Uh, they mm-hmm. were out uh, in the previous week. I mean, it was just, it was all Ertz. It was all Aguilar. It was uh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. I mean, Mac Hollins. I mean, so we projected Ertz to have such a high target volume in, in uh, this, uh, for today's game, that I was just so afraid that it was just going to be a monster output. And regardless of who I was going to stream, or even if I had somebody like Travis Kelsey, it wouldn't matter because, you know, Zach Ertz was going to wind up with at least two touchdowns. And I mean, four for 64. Okay, I can weather that storm. I <laughs> mean, right. I, yeah, I, I would r- much rather prefer that than what I expected to happen. I'd, I'd wind up actually hurting a couple of my GPP lineups, but at the same time, I'll take that. 
Yeah, that's not so bad. I mean, GPP, you're going to lose a handful of those lineups anyway. Um, all right, Chris, that does it for me and the Week 3 recap. Big thanks to you for helping me break it all down. Uh, why don't you let the folks know where they can find you in the online world of fantasy sports. Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Allen, FFWX. Uh, you can see my quarterback streaming column over on 444. That should be out on Tuesdays. Um, players uh, to drop. You'll see that over on Number Fire and doing some video work over on Fan Tracks here soon. So I'm, I'm all over the place. So just come find me. Yep, Chris is one of the best files in the business. Get after it, people. Uh, you can find me, listeners, on Twitter, at Greg Sauce. Uh, drop me a line on there if you have any feedback for the show, or just head over to iTunes and, and leave the show a review on there. That would be much appreciated. Uh, and remember to sign up at 444.com with the promo code TMAP, T-M-A-P, for 25% off any of our subscription options. Chris and I will be back again tomorrow with this week's Waiver Wire show. Until then, thanks for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. Save the love, won't set me free Save